The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry. Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And as our topic for today is trusting artificial intelligence for big business decisions. And our guest... Today is Pedro Domingos, who is the professor of computer science with the University of Washington. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Hi, great. How are you? Very good. Very good. Great to have you. And uh, the reason we wanted to invite you is because we are talking about something which is a reality today, but it is futuristic for many. Talking about enterprise uh, you know, businesses or organizations, they are at all times making decisions, some small, some not as small. And in some cases, they are very strategic. So the whole idea is that when we have humans using data all along, and and, and it's been so long since uh, we have been trying to use data and not just gut to make decisions, we always thought humans are the ones who will bring that so-called complex processing into the decision-making. And there comes artificial intelligence, which is also claiming that it can either do equal or better than humans. So the goal here is to see and explore if we can trust artificial intelligence for big business decision-making and not necessarily replace humans, but at least come close to it. So that said, now let's talk about the very triggers. Why why is someone even looking at the need for using AI to drive such business decisions? Well, there's a number of reasons, but one of them is that once businesses grow beyond a certain point, uh, they really have no choice but to use computers to help them make decisions in all sorts of things from customers to, to production and whatnot. Uh, you know, in the old days, a lot of decisions were actually made in a very rigid way using databases and so on. The benefit of AI is that those decisions can actually be made in a way that is much closer, in, ma- in many cases, better uh, than, than what humans would do. Uh, but in, you know, people often think of AI as replacing humans. In many cases, what, is re- what it's really doing is, is replacing computer systems that were just, you know, much worse before. And in many other cases, like, for example, in the case of companies like, you know, Google and, and, and Amazon and whatnot, what it's really doing is making decisions that simply weren't made by anyone before because of the things that they do didn't even exist. So there's this whole spectrum of ways in which AI is being used today. So you, you kind of labeled the computer systems not being able to do the job. So were they not able to churn data quickly or they were not producing the accurate data? Because AI is not truly trying to compare itself to a regular database management system. It's, it's a different animal, isn't it? 
They are different animals, uh, but, you know, the way to think about it is the following. Let's suppose you want to figure out who are the best customers for your product, right? Or you have a new product and you want to figure out who to market it to. Uh, well, you can rely on gut feeling and, you know, um, and, you know, certainly there's a lot of, of, of gut feeling that goes into these things. But also what traditionally happened was that, uh, you know, companies would rely on these broad demographic categories. You know, let's market to, you know, suburban soccer moms in Pennsylvania and so on. The problem with this category, and, you know, this built on the database technology, but it wasn't, you know, just the, the database technology. The problem is that these categories are very coarse. Right. If all that you know about somebody is that they're a suburban soccer mom in Pennsylvania, you don't actually know that much about them. Now, why, why were things like that? Well, partly it's because there wasn't any more and better data than that, and now there is. Right? You know, all of this is really riding on the fact that we have so much data and, and, and you know, such detailed data. And another part of that was that uh, even if the data had been there, the computing power you know, for the AI to use that data to make better decisions just wasn't there either. And then finally... Uh, you know, the AI wasn't there, you know, 20 years ago, um, you know, the, just the state of the algorithms that do the machine learning and that make the predictions and, and recommendations and whatnot was just, you know, much more primitive. So all of these things have progressed uh, enormously, and we're now at the point where they're actually ready, uh, you know, to essentially make, in many cases, the vast majority of the decisions that a business makes. To your last response, I've got two questions here. One, you mentioned that the data wasn't available. So that means somebody went and collected the data versus machine going by itself and kind of trying to scour the web to get that data. Because when you say that particular segment, whether they would be a good fit or not, that would require further research where some form of human intervention would be required to collect that data. That's number one. Number two, when you speak about churning that data and getting some insights out of it that's an analytics function so are we saying that what we are producing as data from the research where you have human and computer intervention and subsequently the analytics that has been produced today or even it was produced in the recent past was not allowing you to uh, us to dig deeper if if that's the gap that how is how are you defining artificial intelligence is it some some machine logic which is going to somehow come up with an insight where even a computer driven analytics would not be able to find yes so you know two parts to this right or at least two parts the first one is the data you know once upon a time the way you gathered data from people was basically by by doing you know telephone surveys right by calling a few thousand people on the phone, and even that was expensive. Or, you know, and then this, this is what started in the 90s. You had maybe databases of purchases that people made, and that's when people actually started to do some real data mining. But it wasn't that much, and it was expensive together. These days, people, uh, you know, your cell phone is continuously, you know, uh, collecting data about you, right? Essentially, everything that you do is being, you know, captured by somebody or other. Same thing online, Right. People are on social networks. Like, for example, when you're on the Amazon website, it's not just the products that you buy that generate data about you. It's everything that you click on. So, you know, Amazon can actually see what was the sequence of things that you did. So the data that's available, number one, is orders of magnitude greater than before. Number two, it's much cheaper to collect. In many cases these days, the data doesn't even have to be. You just have to, it's, it's naturally generated by people as they go about living their lives, which is done more and more online. And also, by the way, there's also a lot of data gathering from the things that people in the physical world, like, and like from your car and, and from your house and so on. So this is one aspect. But the other aspect that is equally important is, as you mentioned, the machine learning, right? 
the data that people generate doesn't actually necessarily say anything about the future, right? This is just something that they did in the past. The whole question is, how can I use that to predict what you want in the future? How can I use the books that you bought in the past to predict the ones that you'll buy in the future or the movies or, you know, et cetera, et cetera? So the whole name of the game in machine learning is to generalize from your past behavior to your future behavior. And this is actually a very hard thing to do. And, you know, once upon a time, people just didn't know how to do that at all. And then, you know, machine learning gradually over the last few decades, but then more quickly over the last, you know, a decade uh, has become better and better at doing that to the point where it can actually do things, uh, you know, amazingly well, surprisingly well in, in many cases. So essentially what you're saying is the fuzzy logic which uh, artificial intelligence would use to compute and extrapolate or rather predict someone's behavior based on what they've done in the past is just an expanded version of a multiple humans sitting together for years trying to figure the same thing out. So is the name of the game the speed or the quality of decision? It's the it's both, right? It's the speed and quantity and, and quality of the decisions, but so you mentioned fuzzy logic. Fuzzy logic is something that was used, you know, a lot in AI back in the 80s, right? AI had this heyday that people don't remember in the 80s of what are called knowledge-based systems and expert systems, which were programs that you would write down to, you know, for example, do medical diagnosis. You would have rules that said, you know, if this patient has this symptom and this symptom, then what she has is, you know, the flu. And, and pure logic can't do this very well, which is why you need things like fuzzy logic, right? Because you know, like things are probabilistic, they're uncertain, you know, you have to weigh information, there's more or less confidence. But the problem with that, you know, AI failed, right? This was called the AI summer, which was followed by the AI winter, is that these systems were too brittle and, and they, they didn't know enough. There was always more knowledge that they needed to have and their ability to deal with uncertainty was, was very limited. As soon as you went outside the narrow scope of what you had taught them, they failed. Fast forward to today, the big reason why AI is now really taking off is that we've replaced things like fuzzy logic and knowledge-based systems uh, with things like machine learning, where you use things like, for example, um, neural networks. A neural network uh, is essentially a simulation of a human brain that learns from experience, from, from data, uh, in, to some degree in the same way that a human brain does. And there's a whole bunch of these, you know, another type of machine learning, for example, is based on simulating evolution, except that what you're doing is evolving programs instead of evolving animals or plants, but there's the same general, you know, idea of genetics and natural selection and whatnot, except it's done on the computer. So there's a whole bunch of these um, paradigms in machine learning that let us do things that were well beyond what you could do, you know, back in the 80s with so-called classic AI. So to that end, my question to you would be the change in complexity. So what you programmed it, like you mentioned neural networks and many other types of logics. At the end of the day, the the logic of how it would function, how would it learn itself is still coming back to some human beings who are working at it. Now, the way the complexities are coming uh, or, or we are facing the complexities in the business uh, world as well as in our lives, that whole whole set of parameters were not even being dreamed of in the past. So you've got, yeah, you're, you're continually evolving. So how does a human brain, which in turn is supposed to program that AI logic, be ever be able to catch up so you can make a yeah. decision for today? The, the big difference uh, is that in traditional computer science, it's humans that write the programs. 
In machine learning, the computers write their own programs. The computers program themselves. This is what makes them so powerful, is that the computer is looking at data, and from that data, from the input and the desired output, it's figuring out what the program should be. So the more data you have with machine learning, the correspondingly better the, the programs get with no additional human work. It's a little bit like, you know, like, you know a human being, a child, right, learns by playing around. Like, you know, uh, she learns by herself. And to a large extent, this is what machine learning is able to do. So, we, you know, the, at the end of the day, the machine learning algorithms themselves were written by human beings. But a machine learning algorithm could be a 100 lines of code that generates millions upon millions of lines of code that are modeling specific people in specific ways. It would have been completely hopeless to try to write that code by hand. It wouldn't have been economical. Like, for example, suppose that Amazon had to write that, you know, that the programmers at Amazon had to write a different program to model each one of their customers while Amazon would go out of business. I mean, they wouldn't even find enough programmers to do it. With machine learning, they do have a model of you, uh, but the model of you was, was learned from data. And now, of course, the, the, the action comes, well, be, you know, becomes where, you know, and how can you learn to model what people do, and then, and then you unleash those algorithms on a lot of data, and then you learn very detailed and very rich models that let you make, you know, decisions with a level of quality that was not achievable before. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and continue this discussion. And Pedro, on this front, which you mentioned about, uh, you know, the machine learning, which is a very fascinating area. Of course, the listeners would be enjoying listening to this. Now, it all still is dependent on data. That means you are expecting the human to divulge their their whims and fancies and, and uncertainties and, and quirks, if you will, in, in, in a, uh, on, on a larger scale or at that very advanced level for your machine to understand, suppose they are trying to profile me, I have to tell things way beyond what I want in a product. I have to tell them about my family, my other, my background and everything, which I am not willing to give out. So do you think AI is going to be only as good as the data that you provide or there is some other unique way by which it, it can profile me beyond, even if I am not ready to share every part of my life. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? 
Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Pedro, as I mentioned, uh, it seems like still whatever you know, advances that AI technologies and programs and logics may have made, but it's still dependent on data. And if uh, I'm just putting myself in front of uh, sitting in front of Amazon or any other uh, way, the data can be collected, but they, they only know my behavior in terms of how I, how I shop versus everything else about my background and how I, I do other things in life and how I make decisions other, at other, in other junctures of life. So with that said, you are still dependent on data, and if you don't have full profile of a of an individual, how could really how could you really predict accurately enough what the person is going to be wanting next? Yeah, so this is a crucial point. Uh, if, you know, if, if the if the machine learning systems don't have data, they will not know that much about you. And now, of course, what happens today is that data is being gathered about people in in a quantity and at a pace that is astonishing. And there's a potential conflict of interest here, right? People don't necessarily want to give up some of the data that maybe without their complete knowledge, they're actually giving up. Having said that, there's a couple of important things to note here. One of them is that there are enormous, there's an enormous amount that can be inferred about you indirectly. So that's actually one of the things that machine learning is very good for, is that, you know, it can infer your shopping preferences, for example, from things that are not directly your shopping behavior. So the things, you know, this is what a lot of machine learning does is from the data that is available, inferring the things that are actually relevant to the companies, and you'd be surprised often, you know, how correlated things are. How, how you know, for example, Facebook can tell all sorts of things about your tastes from things that are maybe talking about something else. This is one aspect. The other aspect is that actually, um, in practice, most of the time, people are actually quite happy to give up their data in return for what they get because what they get is better service and more personalized offerings from the companies. So in essence, what companies like Google and Facebook do uh, is like, you know, they give you a lot of stuff completely for free, right? You don't pay for Facebook, you don't pay for Google. But what you're actually implicitly paying them with is the data that you generate that allows, you know, them, that allows the advertisers to target things better for you. So at the end of the day, which is what makes things like online advertising better than things like, you know, TV advertising and whatnot, at least for some things. So at the end of the day, from that data that you generate and that they mine, everybody benefits, right? The, the Google and Facebook, you know, that's what sustains their business. The advertisers are, are able to better target their product. And you, at the end of the day, you get advertisements that are more relevant to you and, 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 and more, more interesting, more useful, which is probably better than actually, you know, getting irrelevant ones or not having Google and Facebook at all. So you're right that that is very important and people should be more conscious of how the data is being used. And I think they should have more control over how the data is being used. But, you know, um, to a large extent, the interests of all the different parties are actually aligned in this. 
So all the examples and the things that we discussed so far are more in a B2C setting or you getting a consumer to act in a certain way, collect data and, and get them to buy, right? I mean, understood, uh, respected with what AI can deliver. Now let's talk about the business decision-making within an organization. You could have some uh, geographic areas you want to expand into, some new markets or products that you want to introduce, some new capabilities you would like to create or not create or build by or rent. And then you could have many other strategic decisions that a business would want to make. Do you think AI has the chops to be able to deliver on this front? Yes. In fact, the, the B2C applications are better known to the public because, you know, they, they affect our daily life. But the B2B applications are, are just as important, if not more important. In fact, all these companies... Uh, you know, off, you know. Here's an example: Amazon. The best known use of, of machine learning at Amazon is the recommender system, right? They apparently derive a third of their business from 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 the recommender system, and and we all see the recommendations that it makes for us. But an application at Amazon that is much less known, but is also extremely important, uh, is demand forecasting. Right? Amazon wants to predict who is going to want to buy how much of what where, you know, in essence, every minute of the day. And this is a big use of machine learning. They are predicting the demand for the millions uh, of, of products that they sell every day, and they're continuously trying to come up with better machine learning algorithms to do this. And they've gotten so good at this that one thing that Amazon is, is, is now uh, doing trials with is what they call predictive delivery. Predictive delivery is when Amazon sends you something to buy before you order it so that you will have it minutes after you've ordered it. And, and this, you know, this is one of those things that sounds like science fiction, but it's actually not. And, you know, and they don't reveal the details of this. My guess is that they know that, for example, in a certain neighborhood, you know, someone or other is going to want to buy you know, Harry Potter, uh, you know, the first book, for example. They may not know that it's exactly you, but, but they know that somebody will, so they put it on the truck. And then by the time the t- truck gets there, uh, you know, like the, the order will have been placed and then they can immediately deliver it to the person. They actually say that, um, you know, if you order something, if you receive something that you didn't order, then you can actually have it for free. So it's actually how confident that they are that they can predict demand that well. And, you know, the same thing is true. I mean, the thing that is most remarkable about the companies that use a lot of machine learning is that they don't just use it for one thing. They use it in every nook and cranny of what they do. So, for example, another important use of machine learning that people don't see is that companies like Google and Microsoft and Amazon, they use machine learning to optimize their data centers. Right? So they have these huge server farms that you know, cost a lot of money and spend a lot of energy, and they're continuously optimizing them to try and minimize, for example, the energy consumption, and, you know, which is a huge cost. And, and they, again, they can do this very successfully to the point where they, where they can, for example, reduce the energy consumption by knowing what to turn on and what to turn off at what times by, by close to a half. And there are many, many, many more examples of things like this. And by the way, I've been using mostly examples of these like tech companies like, you know, Google and Facebook and Amazon. And, you know, machine learning is penetrating different industries at different rates. But a lot of uh, uh, important examples of the use of machine learning are in, you know, in, in industries that do not have, uh, you know, anything to do with tech. They're in finance, they're, they're in telecoms, they're in retail, and, 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 and they're in medicine and health and so on. 
So with all the responses or all the examples that you gave, so I understood where you took a number of companies which are a little more advanced or maybe they have some specific stories to tell and it's penetrating many industries. Most of these examples that you shared are transactional or are related to transactions or operational optimization. So if we were to roll this up or maybe go at a level higher upstream, there are some decisions to be made about, like I mentioned, which geography should this business expand into or which markets to tap? So you got a CEO with a bunch of consulting firms supporting him or her and then also their staff or like the, 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 the senior executives who are all working, strategizing, sitting in a room and trying to figure this out. Would you think AI has a place for or place in you know improving or replacing the decision making which is happening in a boardroom and deliver a better result. Yes, definitely. So AI is used a lot for these things today. For the most part, it's in support of the humans who make the final decision. There are cases, however, where the AI makes the final, you know, the AI itself makes the final decision. Uh, uh, or, or, you know, something that is very common is for the AI to make the triage among the thousands of things that the company could do to just maybe 10 or 20 that's going to consider carefully. So, you know, he, one one very... Uh, you know, a good example of this, and actually one of the original killer apps of machine learning is in finance, is uh, you have 3,000 neural networks, each one, you know, modeling a stock in the Russell 3000, and what the, what the machine learning does is it picks out of the 3,000 stocks the 20 that are good for human analysts to look at. And then the humans out of those, they pick, you know, the ones that they actually are going to invest or maybe the ones that they held and, and are going to sell. But there are also some... some uh, um, some hedge funds that are completely run by machine learning. So the machine learning actually puts, you know, uh, the, the, the buy and sell orders in. And, you know, of course, things like high-frequency trading are almost entirely done by machine learning because they have to be, right, because no human can function that fast. But then there's also things like, for example, um, there's a venture capital uh, uh, firm that has actually named a learning algorithm to its board of directors. So it has seven directors that vote on investment decisions and you know on you know what you know what firms to invest in, and and one of those is actually an algorithm. It has you know as much of a vote as as each of the humans does, and I can easily see if this works out well, the algorithms having more and more votes on the board until maybe they have the majority or they have all the votes. And you know to give another example that is very consequential, a lot of hiring decisions and promotion decisions these days are made by machine learning algorithms. You know, companies get, you know, thousands and thousands of resumes and, and applications, and it's the machine learning that actually sifts through them to find, the, you know, the more promising candidates. Again, typically, the machine learning doesn't make the final decision, but from 10,000 candidates, it's like maybe the 50 that the firm is going to look at. Uh, so, you know, so most of the selection is actually done by machine learning. And interestingly, you know, this has been studied, and people often prefer this because they find that the algorithm is fairer, right? The algorithm tends to focus on just the things that really are relevant as opposed to things that aren't relevant or the preconceptions the, 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 that the human beings have. A famous example of this, of course, is, is Moneyball, right? It's selecting baseball players for a team. In fact, people do it in every sport now. But, you know, the human scouts used to use all sorts of things that they thought were meaningful but weren't. And then, you know, using this kind of statistical learning, uh, uh, what the Oakland days found, you know, they were the pioneers of this, was that you could actually do very well 
at selecting the right individuals and the right combination of individuals, like the, the play that they were missing to complete their team, they could select using machine learning and then pay a much lower price for them. So the same kind of thing is happening in the job market at large today. You know, if you're, if you're a company with a subscription to LinkedIn, one of the things that LinkedIn will do for you is, um, you know, uh, mind the resumes of the people who are on LinkedIn for the people who are likely good candidates for the jobs that you have. So this is something that happens on a routine basis today. So these are just a couple of examples of how machine learning is being used for these higher level decisions in, in companies today. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and come right back and talk about why on earth then we even need to have humans at a leadership position. If AI is promising uh, the, the, the outcome, which could incrementally or you know, significantly better than an individual, so that means you could have a CEO, which is an algorithm. You, As you already mentioned, the board of directors could have a bunch of algorithms, and soon you are having any and every decision being made within an organization by a, so- a set of software algorithms which has got support from machine learning, and you just, uh, just have worker bees. Is that what we are looking at as a future for uh, an enterprise? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Pedro, you mentioned and claimed that CEOs, board of directors, any of the senior executives in an organization could effectively be replaced by an algorithm. It's a matter of time. Then what are humans going to do in, in uh, an enterprise? No, actually, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, in things like this, I can imagine, you know, a CEO that's an algorithm, and for all I know, there's probably some, you know, 
clever startup somewhere that already has something like this. But the truth is, for you know, 99.9% of companies out there, uh, the CEO isn't going to be replaced by an algorithm anytime soon, and nor are the CXOs, nor are the board members. And the reason is very simple, is that the algorithms are very good at some things today, and in fact, at some things they are way better than, than humans are, but there are also many, many things at which humans are much better than the algorithms, and we need both. Maybe in the very long term, you know, computers will become better than humans at everything, but that's going to take a while. For the foreseeable future, what we're going to need is a very close combination of people and computers doing most things. And in fact, the people who will be successful are the ones, uh, you know, who know how to use computers to complement what they do. Uh, you know, automation is a little bit like having a horse, right? If you have a horse, you don't try to outrun it. You ride the horse. And as a result of which, you can go farther. You know, I mean, here's an example. Uh, chess, right? Uh, you know, at one point, Deep Blue beat Kasparov, and now chess, you know, programs are the world's champions, right? You know, computers play the best chess in the world, right? Actually wrong. The best chess players in the world today are not computers. They are, they are what is called in the community centaurs. A centaur, right, is, is, I mean, the mythical creature was half man, half horse, but in this case, it's half man, half computer. The best chess players in the world today are a team of a human and a computer because the human can see things that the computer can't. And then the computer can also do a lot of work that is, you know, completely beyond what the human unaided would do. And I think this thing that happens in chess that a combination of human and machine does better than just a machine is going to be the pattern in, in the great majority of, of, uh, of, of occupations. And that's really how, you know, people should be thinking in terms of is how do I, you know, the best way to protect your job from automation is to automate it yourself, right? It's like, how can I automate the parts of my job that, that can be done by a computer that are probably more routine and, and then I can maybe do the more interesting ones and get, get to do more of the stuff that I wished I had time to do all along. So, for example, anything that is routine, that is structured, that, is fairly, that has fairly clear rules, the computer can probably do. But things that involve, um, you know, integrating a lot of information, that involve kind of like a broader uh, type of reasoning, uh, you know, computers can't do those kinds of things. And, by the way, another thing that people often find very surprising and that we in the field found very surprising is that, you know, people used to think that, oh, yeah, you know, computers are going to automate the blue-collar jobs and then, you know, the, the white-collar ones will be the harder ones to automate. This is actually not the case. Some blue-collar jobs are easy to automate, but some are hard. Like, you know, a construction worker is hard to automate, right? Getting, we don't have robots that can walk around the construction site without tripping over. On the other hand, there are many uh, white-collar jobs like, you know, financial advisor or direct marketer that... Uh, are very, uh, and in fact, are increasingly are uh, being replaced by computers. So the question is not so much white-collar versus blue-collar as routine versus non-routine, if you will. So if you were to qualify and say, okay, this is where AI is very good at as we see it today, and this is where humans should be proud of in terms of where they are even better than the most sophisticated AI that exists. I, I would say that, and again, it's important to realize that the frontier between what is best done by algorithms and what is best done by people is continuously shifting, right? So it doesn't stay in the same place. But I would say, you know, like going back to the, uh, you know, to the hedge fund example, what the computer can do that the people can't do very well is that it can look at thousands of stocks uh, very quickly or, you know, in the case of, you know, consumers, at millions of consumers. 
You can just do things on a scale that people can't. Having said that, you know, the, the extent to which Amazon knows a customer or to which, you know, you know one of these algorithms knows, knows a company that might be, you know, something interesting is very limited. It's not very deep, right? It's based on, you know, a, really, you know, for each individual customer, not that much information or, or, you know, for each company, not that much information. And also what it's missing is often the context, right? So what, what, what the human beings in the hedge fund can do that a computer can't is that they can take a huge variety of other factors into account that the computer doesn't even know exist. Uh, they understand politics. They understand what's happening, you know, uh, you know, globally, you know, in between, you know, between countries and, and, uh, and, and, you know, and regulation and so on and so forth. There's all this, there's this whole slew of things that the, the algorithms just have no idea about, and, and it's the human beings that, that have an idea about that. So you're saying essentially, so you use the churning part, the effective way of churning and then machine learning portion of it, but leaving the softer, the human specific issues like politics, like change of behavior, like regime changes or whatever, and having basically looking at that fuzzy side of how humans are able to connect the dots, that still is a privilege of humans versus coming to machines. Yeah, the fuzzy side, and I, you know, I might say more the, the higher level thing. What machine learning algorithms typically do in one of these companies that's very automated, like, you know, for example, Google is an example, is, uh, or, you know, or Amazon or Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, is like, they make the day-to-day decisions, the point-by-point decisions. Like, remember, like, every time you, you see an ad on, Facebook, on, on, on Google or Facebook, actually, there was an auction to decide what to put there. And there were machine learning algorithms predicting what was the probability of each of the candidate ads to be clicked on, right? So these millions or even billions of, of continuous decisions about what to do, they're made by machines. But what the humans are doing is, is a very important part, which is they steer this at a higher level. So, so the captain of the ship is still a human, right? The human beings, you know, like the algorithms can't say like, oh, you know, here's, where, here's, where we sh- here's the big market that we should head into next. That type of decision, you know, isn't really, can't really be made by learning algorithms. They don't, they don't know or understand enough to do that. But they can gather a lot of data, right? And they can, you can make those, at the end of the day, right, you know, there are some things for which data can replace insight and intuition, but there are things for which it can't. And, and for those things, you know, you still, you know, those decisions are still being made by, by humans. So they do the higher level steering and the computers, you know, somebody I know says that, you know, machine learning is like having an army of ants. Right? Each ant by itself is not very powerful, but you have a lot of them together you know, being used for all these different things, and, and it adds up to a lot. But these individual things are, are still fairly small. The really big ones, for the most part, are still the province of humans. So let's take examples of the type of business decisions that someone would make. And, and in terms of the, the approach or the quality of those decisions, sometimes those decisions in an enterprise could be done fast or uh, in the sense you want to do it like yesterday, if that's what, that's what for possible, or you would do it in small incremental type of decisions for short, mid, or long term. You could even make some decisions to say, you know what, let's get started in, on this journey, and we will play it by the ear and, and figure out as we go. Now, this is also being done by people using partly their gut and some data, do you think such decision-making, which doesn't have really set boundaries or set parameters, are uh, good candidates, and you can, if you put AI, they will do a better job at it? Well, what, what happens 
a lot today with this type of decisions is that humans uh, will generate the candidate things to do. Right, so, and then, then, but then it's not played by ear. Is that it gets tried out and measured, and the machine learning figures out whether this works or not. So, uh, you know, something that is used a lot today is, is what are called A/B tests, right? So, an A/B test is the company is currently doing things one way, and then you know somebody has the idea of you know trying things, you know, doing things the A way, and then somebody thinks of doing things the B way. And now what we do is you know we just you know try them both online. You know, we continue to do A as before, but then we pick out random, you know, 100,000 customers, and we try the B way on those, and we see if the results are better. These types of, being, of A-B tests are being done continuously, you know, by the thousand, every day by these companies. So you've participated in thousands of A-B tests, yet you just don't know, uh, you know, um, you're just not aware of it. And some of these A-B tests can be for large things like, you know, like, uh, let us go, let us start offering this new product or let us go into this market. More commonly, however, they are for things that are smaller, but they can make a lot of difference. So, for example, um, you know, Google at one point did an A-B test for what shade of blue to paint the links on the ads. They tried 50 different shades of blue for the links that you can click on the ad. Right? This was a very straightforward thing to do for Google, and as a result, they picked the, 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 the shade of blue that made people most likely to click on it. And as a result of it, they are now making $200 million a year more. $200 million is not a large percentage of the money that they make, which is, I don't know, in the tens of billions. But, you know, considering that this was probably the work of one person over a week, then, you know, and this is giving a return of $200 million, it's, it's you know, it's an amazing uh, you know, result for a simple A-B test. And again, these, these kinds of A-B tests are being done for all sorts of things all the time by, by, by a lot of different companies. And this is very fascinating the way you say. So now coming to those areas where you mentioned that humans can see the politics across countries or across regimes and and things which machine learning is yet not able to do. So are we trying to go in that direction that you can completely remove the reasons why a human should make any decision? Well, yes. And, you know, for example, um, you know, hedge funds these days are using things like mining Twitter data. Uh, to figure out what are things that people are talking about and how those things might might affect, uh, you know, uh, stocks or or the fates of particular companies. So people are enormously creative in the in the ways that they can use machine learning and more and more. So again, information about you know people's sentiment and about what's happening in politics used to be hard to come by, but now there's things like Twitter that you can mine, or there's things like satellite data. For example, there's there's a uh, you know hedge funds that use satellite images of the parking lots of you know, the Walmarts of this world to see how good the business is, right? Are there a lot of cars parked in the parking lot? So I think increasingly more and more of this information that was not, you know, accessible to algorithms is accessible and people will develop the algorithms to, to make use of it. But then what happens is that the human beings go up one level, right? They, they, they can now, based on these things, still make decisions that the algorithms uh, wouldn't be able to. I think eventually to have algorithms that do everything that humans can, we're just going to need really deep breakthroughs in AI that, that haven't happened yet, right? So the state of the art in AI is far beyond what it was 50 years ago. So, you know, in, in my book, The Master Algorithm, I, be, I talk about the different, you know, types of machine learning that exist and what they can do. You know, there are these five major paradigms that are called the five tribes of machine learning. But the truth is, 
each of these paradigms can do some things very well. You know, one of them is neural networks, another one is evolution, another one is basically automating the scientific method to have something like, you know, the equivalent of a scientist, uh, but automated, another one is reasoning by analogy. But each of these can only do something. And my feeling is that at the end of the day, what we're going to need is something like, a, you know, a grand unified theory of machine learning in the same way that, you know, the standard model is the grand unified theory of physics to actually have in one system all the intelligence that human beings have. And I think once we have that, I think uh, it is possible that the majority of jobs will wind up being done by computers. But, and people vary a lot in their estimate of how far along that road we are. My personal opinion is that, yes, we've come a thousand miles, but there's a million more miles to go, so we're still quite a distance from it. But these days, you know, because machine learning is so economically important, the amount of investment that is being done uh, is enormous. So there's more progress in machine learning happening in one year today than used to happen in a decade. So even though we have a million more miles to go, uh, it might not take, you know, a huge amount of time to get there, but it'll probably still be in the decades. But the truth is, Nobody knows for sure, right? Progress in science and technology is not linear. Often you make very rapid progress, and we are making very rapid progress in in AI today. But then you have these, you know, long periods of of slow progress, and, you know, who knows what's going to happen. You know, all we can tell is that people are going to be, you know, making progress, and and companies are going to be investing in this. But exactly what will happen when is, is very hard to predict. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back after the break and talk about a leadership. So someone who makes good decision for the business may not really be as good as uh, they need to be with people and be able to gain credibility through what they do, how they do they develop people. Now, I'm going on the softer side of what makes a good leader. Now, in this case, when we're talking in enterprise uh, you know, context, we are making decisions, but then also we have to work on culture. Also take care of the people so that they follow you as you come up with the decision so that it gets adopted and you realize the dream. With all of that, do you think AI has a role to play? Or if AI is going to take the credit for even be able to do that, then are we proposing the end of organizational leadership? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? 
Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, uh, Pedro, making decisions, whether they're good or bad, developing culture, getting to know people and have them follow you is what makes a leader. So, if at each juncture, if the leader is not gaining credibility, there will be a problem in getting the decisions which otherwise could have been made by humans or by AI to get adopted and realize the very dream that you are chasing. So with that said, do you think AI is proposing or is it leading us to an uh, to, to a stage where most decisions, which are, of course, the, the people who are working within the organizations are aware of, is being done by or are being made by uh, some machine learning? more and more so, and then which is less and less emotional, which is less and less human. Do you think that's going to undermine or eliminate or, or, or destroy, not rather eliminate, but destroy or undermine the organizational leadership that people look up to other people and not to a, an algorithm? Well, I would say that what's going to happen is that people will trust their leaders more if the leaders made their decisions with the help of AI machine learning than if they didn't, right? It's one thing to say, you know, like, I made decision, you know, this based on my gut instinct. It's another thing to say I made decision based on this data and based on these results. And a lot of, you know, the more data-based companies, what happens? It's not that the the the, uh, the leadership has become unimportant. I mean, look at Amazon, right? Like Jeff Bezos is extremely important at Amazon. Part of what he gives to Amazon is is this culture of being very data-driven, of of saying like. Uh, we have this disagreement about what to do. Let the data decide. Let's go out and try things out in the real world. So I think it would be more the other way around, is that you know, increasingly the leaders that just make their decisions based on gut feeling will have less credibility. The leaders that make their decisions you know, based on, on analysis of data and so on will have more credibility. You know, having said that, some decisions will be made by algorithms, and you know, the experience so far seems to be that people at first are resistant to that, right? People don't like the idea of algorithms making decisions for them, and, and they, they tend to hold algorithms to an impossibly high standard. So a human being was doing a job, you know, they were good 80% of the time, but an algorithm will not be adopted unless it's good 100% of the time, right? So people often have these unrealistic expectations for algorithms. But then what, what happens as they start to use the algorithm is that they quickly see that, oh, wow, this algorithm actually makes very good decisions, and then they actually like it. So, for example, there was a survey not long ago where they asked people, you know, like, would you prefer to have a machine as your boss, Right. And, you know, you would think that the vast majority of people would say absolutely no. And actually, it turns out a large number of people said yes. And the thing is that if you have a great boss, then you don't want a machine instead of the boss. But if your boss sucks and some bosses do suck, then a machine maybe is actually better. And, you know, when they ask people why is it, they would say like, well, uh, you know, the, 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 the machine will make decisions more consistently and it will be fairer. You know, I'll be less dependent on their good and bad moods because it won't have good and bad moods. And that will have a clearer picture of what it is that I need to do to perform well, right? People want to know, like, well, what is good versus bad performance? 
And, and you know, often, you know, with, with algorithms, it's very clear. It's actually given explicitly to people what are the parameters, and they actually feel more comfortable doing that. You know, you know Mark Andreessen, who was the founder of Netscape and is also a famous venture capitalist these days, he says that in the future there will be two kinds of jobs. There will be the jobs where you tell a computer what to do, and there will be jobs where a computer tells you what to do. And, and I think this actually this captures something. It, and it's not necessarily the case that being told what to do by a computer is a bad thing. Uh, certainly having a computer doing the things that you tell it to can often be, you know, can make your life a lot easier than having to have you know, those things being done by people and having to explain by people uh, what you need to do and whatnot. But I actually think that the deeper reality is that all of us uh, already uh, are doing a mix of telling computers what to do and being told what to do by them. So, for example... You know, let's say you want to go on a date, right? You can use a dating site to find a date, right? Your decision to go on, the decision to go on it was yours, but then the dates are selected for you by the site. And then you decide to go to a restaurant, but then Yelp is actually what selects the restaurants to go to. And then you, and then, you know, and then you drive there, and but it's the, it's the car's GPS system that figures out the route to take. So in some sense, uh, you are following its instructions that you're just doing the driving, but then when you're doing the driving, there's all these systems, you know, in the computer, you know, the, the, the car is a bunch of computers that are basically helping you drive where you want to go. So there's a really intricate mesh of things that are done by the human and things that are done by the computer. But at the high level, the control is in your hands, right? At the end of the day, the computers are just extensions of us, and they're just there to do what we want them to do. And it's for us to figure out what it is that we want to do. So one last question I have for you, 30 seconds. What do you think should be the change in mindset of the leaders and how do they get the people to look at AI a little differently? Like after this show, many people should look at it differently, but otherwise in organizations, what do you want leaders to do so that AI could be introduced with people trusting it? I think the key idea is that an organization with AI is different from a traditional organization. It's more flexible, it's more adaptable, it can move more quickly. Everybody has more visibility into the company. So what really AI can do for a company is to make its intelligence more than the sum of the parts. Today, the intelligence of a large organization is less than the sum of the parts because people can only communicate so much and the organization doesn't know uh, what it knows. With AI, you can actually have the intelligence of the whole be greater than the intelligence of the parts. And this is, I think, what leaders want to be driving. And, and you know, it, there's going to be a new type of company in the 21st century, which, you know, we already see some of them becoming. And it's the job very much of, of, of the leaders of the company to drive their companies in that direction. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Pedro. You really opened some eyes today, giving people perspective of how AI can actually be working shoulder to shoulder with humans to create value. So it is important for leaders to, of course, convey this message to their people that if you introduce AI into an organization, it will be of, of benefit to them and the organization and thus get a better adoption and get people to trust AI as part of their lives. Thank you so much again. Thanks for having me. And listeners, hope you enjoyed this fascinating conversation. Like us on Facebook, search for CTN, and please, please be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn community. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.
Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening. CTN CIO Talk Network is brought to you by Redmain and BlackBerry. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.